Chapter Twelve of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter Twelve Stranger in a Strange Land. That night and the next day. I suffered all the horrors of seasickness, and those who have known by experience how completely it prostrates the energies of mind and body can imagine how I felt on leaving the boat at night. The kind-hearted captain set me on shore at a place where he left coal and lumber, a short distance from the village of Ogdensburg. He gave me twelve and a half cents and expressed regret that he could do no more for me. He said he could not direct me to a lodging for the night, being a stranger in the place, and this the first time he had been on that route. Should this narrative chance to meet his eye, let him know that his kind and delicate attentions to a stranger in distress are and ever will be remembered with the gratitude they so richly merit. It was with evident reluctance that he left me to make my way onward as I could. And now, reader, imagine if you can, my situation. A stranger in a strange land, and comparatively a stranger to the whole world, alone in the darkness of night, not knowing where to seek a shelter or a place to lay my head, exhausted with seasickness until I felt more dead than alive. It did seem as though it would be a luxury to lie down and die. My stockings and shoes were all worn out with so much walking, my feet sore, swollen and bleeding, and my limbs so stiff and lame that it was only by the greatest effort that I could step at all. So extreme were my sufferings that I stopped more than once before I reached the village, cast myself upon the cold ground, and thought I could go no further. Not even the idea of being run over in the darkness by some passing traveller had power to keep me on my feet. Then I would rest a while and resolve to try again, and so I hobbled onward. It seemed an age of misery before I came to any house, but at length my spirits revived at the sight of brilliant lights through the window and the sound of cheerful voices that fell upon my ear. And now I thought my troubles over for that night at least. But no, when I asked permission to stay overnight, it was coldly refused. Again and again I called at houses where the people seemed to enjoy all the comforts and even the luxuries of life, but their comforts were for themselves and not for a toil-worn traveller like me. This I was made to understand in no gentle manner, and some of those I called upon were not very particular in the choice of language. By this time my feet were dreadfully swollen, 
and oh so sore and stiff that every step produced the most intense agony is it strange that i felt as though life was hardly worth preserving i resolved to call at one house more and if again refused to lie down by the wayside and die i accordingly entered the village hotel and asked for the landlady the bartender gave me a suspicious glance that made me tremble and asked my business i told him that my business was with the landlady and no other person he left the room a moment and then conducted me to her chamber as i entered a lady came forward to meet me and the pleasant expression of her countenance at once won my confidence she gave me a cordial welcome saying with a smile as she led me to a seat i guess my dear you are a runaway are you not i confessed that it was even so that i had fled from priestly cruelty had travelled as far as i could and now weary sick and faint from long fasting i had ventured to cast myself upon her mercy will you protect me i asked and are you a roman catholic no she replied i am not a roman catholic and i will protect you you seem to have suffered much and are quite exhausted but you will find a friend in me i will not betray you for i dislike the priests and the convents as much as you do she then called her little girl and ordered a fire kindled in another chamber saying she did not wish her servants to see me the child soon returned when the lady herself conducted me to a large pleasant bedroom handsomely furnished with every convenience and a fire in the grate she gave me a seat in a large easy chair before the fire and went out locking the door after her in a short time she returned with warm water for a bath and with her own hands gave me all the assistance needed as i related the incidents of the day she expressed much sympathy for my sufferings and said she was glad i had come to her she gave me a cordial and then brought me a cup of tea and other refreshments of which i made a hearty supper she would not allow me to eat all i wished but when i had taken as much as was good for me she bathed my feet with a healing wash and assisted me to bed oh the luxury of that soft and comfortable bed no one can realize with what a keen sense of enjoyment i laid my head upon those downy pillows unless they have suffered as i did and known by experience the sweetness of repose after excessive toil all that night this good lady sat beside my bed and kept my feet wet in order to reduce the swelling i was little inclined to sleep and at her request related some of the events of my convent life while doing this i hardly knew what to make of this curious woman 
Sometimes she would weep, and then she would swear like any pirate. I was surprised and somewhat afraid of her. She seemed so strange and used such peculiar language. She understood my feelings at once, and immediately said, You need not be afraid of me, for I have a kind heart if I do use wicked words. I cannot help swearing when I think about the priests, monsters of iniquity that they are, what fearful crimes they do commit under the cloak of religion. Oh, if the people of this land could but see their real character, they would rise en masse and drive them from the country, whose liberties they will, if possible, destroy. For myself, I have good cause to hate them, Shall I tell you my story, dear? I begged her to do so, which she did as follows. I once had a sister, young, talented, beautiful, amiable, and affectionate. She was the pride of all our family, the idol of our souls. She wished for an education, and we gladly granted her request. In our zeal to serve her, we resolved to give her the very best advantages, and so we sent her to a Romish school. It was a seminary for young ladies taught by nuns, and was the most popular one in that part of the country. My father, like many other parents who knew such establishments only by report, had not the least idea of its true character but deluded by the supposed sanctity of the place he was happy in the thought that he had left his darling where it was said that science and religion go hand in hand for a season all went on well she wrote to us that she was pleased with the school and wished to remain we thought her handwriting wonderfully improved and eagerly looked forward to the time when she would return to us a finished scholar as well as an accomplished lady but these pleasant prospects were soon overcast too soon our happy bounding hearts were hushed by unspeakable grief and our brilliant anticipations were dissipated in the chamber of death in their place came those solemn realities, the shroud, the coffin, the hearse, and the tomb. Did she die? I asked. Yes, replied the lady, as she wiped away the fast-flowing tears. Yes, she died. I believe she was poisoned, but we could do nothing. We had no proof. She had been long at school before we suspected the deception that was practised upon us. But at length I went with my other sister to see her, and the superior informed us that she was ill and could not see us. We proposed going to her room, but to our great surprise were assured that such a thing could not be allowed. We left with sad hearts, and soon called again. I cannot describe my feelings, when we were coldly informed that she did not wish to see us. What could it mean? Surely something must be wrong, and we left with terrible presentiments of coming evil. 
it came. Yes, too soon were our worst fears realized. I called one day, resolved to see her before I left the house. Conceive, if you can, my surprise and horror when they told me that my beautiful, idolized sister had resolved to become a nun, that she had already renounced the world, and would hold no further communication with her relatives. Why did I not know this before? I exclaimed. You know it now, was the cold reply. I did not believe a word of it, and when I told my father what they said, he went to them and resolutely demanded his child. At first they refused to give her up, but when they saw that his high spirit was aroused, that he would not be flattered or deceived, they reluctantly yielded to his demand. End of section 12